God, we thank you, God, that you promised to speak into every one of our lives. And God, today we pray that you would do so. God, that you would change us, that you would transform us. That, God, you would help us in every way. God, to become more like you. To become, Lord, what you want us to be. And God, that that is your hands and feet that's touching lives throughout this world. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. I want to talk this morning about the rest of the story title of my message today is The Rest of the Story. But today I want to begin, if I may, by reading a story to every one of you. If you would follow along with this story today. It says this, Alison was a regular attendee at a church on the hill. One Sunday, Alison approached a busy leader called Art about the lack of salt that was put down in the parking lot. How many knows this is not in Louisiana? Art, in his busyness preparing the ushers, the communion, and other things that was his responsibility, acknowledges what Allison has said, but was unable to stop his Sunday duties to address the salt issue in the parking lot. Allison begins to watch Art, and she noticed that not only does he address not address the issue, he enters the sanctuary. And he sits down next to Billy where he stays until service starts. Over the next few weeks, Allison talks to several church members about art. How he was inefficient as a leader. How he was disrespectful for women. And how his indifference and his bad attitude about the safe, that he had an indifferent attitude about the safety of the church members. Her words spread through the church, and six weeks later, many people were questioning the pastor's choice of choosing Art as a leader in the church. And now they wanted a church meeting to have Art dismissed. Allison, along with her cohorts, without even asking any questions, without giving the benefit of the doubt, or extending him any mercy or grace, decided that they were to be Art's jury, judge, and executioner. But what about the rest of the story? But what about the rest of the story? Here's what Alison and her cohorts failed to realize, and here is the rest of the story. Art, that morning, had two ushers call in sick. And he had to cover their responsibilities, thus increasing his responsibility and workload. Plus, the church had ran out of grape juice for communion. And Billy, who Art was talking to in the sanctuary, had just found out that morning 
that his wife of 20 years wanted a divorce. Can you see today the rest of the story and how the rest of the story changes, in fact, the entire story? Yes, there was a problem of salt or lack of it in the parking lot that should have been handled better, but there were three other just as important issues and reasons why it wasn't. Here's the challenge for every one of us today and what we're going to talk about today. How often are we like Alison? We see what we see, we hear what we hear, and then we jump to judgment without the rest of the story. Without all the facts involved, it's so easy for us to jump to the wrong conclusions. And that's what we're going to deal with today. We've got to watch because in our lives, so many times, we don't leave any room for questions. We don't extend to someone the benefit of the doubt. And we don't give others the grace and mercy which they deserve. But what we are good at doing is we're good at passing judgment unfairly. Come on, I said we're good at passing judgment unfairly. Come on, say something in the house. Ouch, my, ooh, ah, amen, something. We're good at passing judgment without knowing the rest of the story. And you know the result of such wrong behavior? You know what happens when we act and react in that manner and in that way? Here's the result. The execution of the innocent. The execution of the innocent. What about asking questions? What about discovering facts? There's a story that we heard on our marriage class about a man. He steps onto a bus and he has three young children and they're going a long distance on the bus. And the man sits down by the window. He looks out of the window, staring out of the window while his kids are running crazily around the bus. One after the other, people on the bus are making eye contact. Who's going to be the spokesman or spokeswoman who's going to stand up and say, Sir, could you please take care of your children? Finally, a lady speaks up and she said, Sir, do you not care about your children? Please, they are disturbing everyone on the bus. To which the man, still staring out of the window, replies, Sorry, ma'am. You see, we just left the hospital. And their mother just passed away. All of a sudden, the circumstance and the situation is still the same. The kids are out of control. But now all of a sudden, anger has been turned into compassion. Why? Because they discovered the rest of the story. God help every one of us for how quickly we pass judgment. And how quickly we condemn. And how quickly we knock down those without knowing the rest of the story. Oh, we know enough, don't we? I know what I saw. How dare they shouldn't, but this is church. How dare they behave? How dare this happen and that? They should know better. Well, perhaps they don't know better. But yet we judge them without even giving them a chance. And I'm telling you right now, there's a, the rest of the story to everyone's life. 
Come on, I bet there's a rest of the... Hey, there's some people out there, the rest of the story is as bad as the first part of the story. Come on, let's just be honest. There's some people out there that just have serious issues and they need to be helped and they need to be taken care of. We don't turn a blind eye to that. But you know what? There's some people out there that the hurts and the pains that you see manifested when we understand the rest of the story. Our response is going to change. I wonder how many of you sitting here today have accused someone wrongly to find out that they were totally innocent. But by then, the damage is done. And unfortunately, many times, the damage comes by way of our mouths. Just like Alison, she got everyone together. Can you believe Art didn't do this, this, this and this? Instead of praising Art for what he was doing, or instead of saying, Art, what can I do to help? Where is the salt? Can I be of assistance? Watch out. Wrongly accused and passed judgment. Gossip is a very powerful, deadly thing. Gossip is a deadly force in the church today. Listen to this. I read this this week. Gossip is the art of saying nothing, yet leaving nothing unsaid. Let that sink in a bit. You're talking about something you don't really know, but you're making sure that everything you don't really know has, has been really known. It's the art of saying nothing, yet leaving nothing unsaid. But you know, there's the other side, isn't there? Not the time where we're passing judgment, but what about being on the other side of the fence when people have pointed the finger to you? When they've judged you and condemned you. Come on, we've all been on that side too. When they don't know the rest of the story, they judge us. And it doesn't feel good to have a witness in the house. I don't care how big and bad you think you are and how strong you are. It still hurts when people don't even bother to find out. They don't even care enough to ask. It hurts. It hurts. Turn with me today, if you would, to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to come from this passage of Scripture today. We're going to read a few verses, and you can follow along on the screen with us today if you don't have your Bibles. And please, take notes in church. You need to take notes today. You need to be involved in what is going on in the message. You know, Trey was just telling me the other day about something a couple of weeks ago that Megan, you know, you just have bad days sometimes and you just go through stuff. And, you know, Megan was just having a rougher day and she just opened up a notepad or she opened up something. And in that was some notes that she had taken from a message or a card from a message that I had preached probably two, three years ago. And all of a sudden, something rose inside of her spirit and God put a smile back on her face. I'm telling you, you don't know when you're going to need this message again. But I'm telling you, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to need you to get a hold of this message. Come on, because it's time we know the rest of the story. Are you with me? I was just buying time for all those people that took a long time to get to Matthew chapter 7. Page 14, 16, if you've got a real Bible. Listen to me from Matthew 7 verse 1. Judge not that you not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with what measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Notice there, no questions, ifs, ands or buts. It's very specific. God's word is very specific. Verse 3. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eyes, but you do not consider the plank or the beam in your own eye? In the original Greek, 
He's talking about the main support beam of an entire house. Verse 4. How can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Let me give you four points, if I may, today from this passage of Scripture that we've read. Point number one, watch how you judge. Watch how you judge. Verse one says, judge not that you not be judged. At first glance, we could conclude or come to the conclusion that we're not to judge people, period. We're not to judge them. But that's not what's been implied here. Jesus is not saying to us, do not judge. He's not asking us to close our eyes to the evil and the error of people. Jesus is not forbidding us to criticize or to give our opinion or to condemn wrongdoing. He's not saying that. But what he forbids is this, censorousness. I like that word. It's a big word. It's a big word. Can I tell you what it means? It's a big word that means this, the spirit of fault finding that overlooks one's own shortcomings while assuming the role of supreme judge in regard to the sins of others. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, if you're going to stand up and judge, you better make sure that your motives are right, your heart is right, that you're sincere, and you're not overlooking the same stuff that's in your life. In other words, he's saying, if you're going to be judged, you better be careful how you do it. You better be careful. In other words, what has been told to every one of us today is we're all on the same scale. If you were to picture today, and I wished I was able to get a hold of one of these, one of those old-fashioned scales, you know, the ones with the balance and you put the weight and you balance each other. What Jesus is saying is this, you better watch how you judge. And listen, he's telling us if you can't judge right, you better not judge, period. But what he's saying is the measure, so if you put a weight on this side and you're judging people according to that measure, Jesus is saying when it's time for your judgment, you're going to be what? Measured on the same scale of measurement. Look what it says in verse 2. With the same measure you use, note please, it will be measured back to you. Let me say that one more time. With the same measure you use, the same way you condemn, the same way you point the finger. And please remember when you point the finger, there are three fingers pointing back to you and there's one that's pointing up at God. You better watch where you're pointing and who you're accusing because the Bible says the same way you judge... Help us, Jesus. It's the same way we're going to be judged. Say amen in the house. Therefore, if you weigh another's actions or words, whatever they may be, with a biased scale, your life will be weighed or judged by God on that same scale. I want to tell you something today, and I want you to grab a hold of this. Salvation doesn't make you any better than anyone else. It just means you're forgiven. Let me say that one more time. Salvation doesn't make you better than anyone else. It just makes you forgiven. 
And we've got to understand that because a lot of times we get so self-righteous and we get so holy and we say, well, I'm better than them. You know what? There's a lot of people in this world who aren't even saved who are a lot better than most Christians. God help us. We've got to realize that. It doesn't give us the right to become the policeman, the spiritual police that we're going and we're condemning everyone. I believe we should stand up for what's right. Don't get me wrong. But we've got to be careful in the way we judge. So here's the challenge that has been made and needs to be made to every one of us. And that is this. Make proper judgment. Because there is nothing else that destroys a community or a church and undermines the kingdom values of Christ Jesus than people who judge wrongly. Come on, grace is undermined. Mercy is undermined. Forgiveness is undermined. Love is undermined. Why? Because we don't know the rest of the story. So therefore, it's not don't judge, but it's watch how you judge. Which leads me to my next point, point number two. You better judge others like we want to be judged. You better judge other people as you want to be judged. One of the hardest things or a lesson of life trying to get through to my kids was Brittany was trying to get through to her the golden rule. Golden rule is do as unto others as you would have them do unto you. She couldn't get past the thought of do unto others as they do unto you. So if someone slapped her, she thought do unto others as they do unto you. She couldn't get the part that you need to do what you want them to do, not what they are doing. Are you with me in the house? And I just want to explain that because I wonder sometimes if we as Christians really understand that. Oh, they kick me. I'm going to kick them twice as hard back. I had a cousin like that. He was always bigger than me. And if you just hit him once, man, he would have to hit you twice as hard back. I hated that. If you flicked him, he just didn't even bother flicking. He would just slap. You know what I'm saying? And there was one day I got so mad. I'm just going to leave it at that. He knew I was mad. Let me put it that way. Judge others like you want to be judged. Let me read verse 2, if I may, from the New Living Translation. Listen to these words. Follow on the screen. For others will treat you as you treat them. Pastor Philip, you know what? People don't treat me very good. How are you treating other people? Pastor P, people are wrongfully judging me. How are you judging others? For others will treat you as you treat them. Whatever measure you use in judging others, it will be used to measure how you are judged. We said it earlier, but to be judged and to be condemned unjustly does not feel good. Unfortunately today, I could stand up here and probably keep you for hours and hours given many examples of how people have judged me wrong in my life. How they've come against me, how they've come against my family, how they've come against our church. And it's not a nice thing when you're trying with everything inside of your heart to be what God wants you to be. I didn't say perfect because none of us are perfect. Only one is perfect. But trying to do as much as we can do, but yet have people 
And I think one of the saddest things and an example was to see people in our church that knew my heart, knew my life, that we had helped them, that we had given to them financially as well as to turn around and hear things and not even bother to say, Philip, can we talk? But they just pass judgment and they just up and leave. I mean, they're hurtful things. They're hurtful things. But here's what I want you to see today. In the natural, my natural man says, hey, two can play that game. Come on, do I have any people who are honest in the house? Oh, man, I, 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 you messed with the wrong person. Come on, I, man, let's go. But does that give me the right to do likewise? Here's the thought for you today. Look at this on the screen. You've got the opportunity I think I put it up there if I didn't tell him my bad. You've got the opportunity, there it is, but not the right. The opportunity is there, but no matter what people have done to you, the right is not there. The opportunity, yes. The opportunity faces you to condemn them, to go and to ju- and all these, defend and all. The opportunity is there, but not the right. Look what the Bible says about opportunity. Ephesians 4 verse 27 says, Nor give place to the devil. That word place there is better translated opportunity. Don't give opportunity to the devil. How many knows that the devil's got plenty of opportunities available for you every day without you giving him more of them? Come on, we can sit in our pity party and you know what we're doing? We're giving opportunity for the devil. We're given opportunity, we're given place, we're given real estate for him to come in and to dwell and to set up his residence and begin to say, you're right, they did do you wrong, you can do this. Or man, how dare they do that? You need to judge them, you need to condemn them. Come on, there is opportunity every day, but we need to be so careful. Here's what we need to do when the opportunities come. Are you ready? Galatians 6 verse 10 says, Therefore, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to all. Wow, I love the word of God because you can get mad at me all you want and you can say, Pastor P, that ain't true. But can I tell you right there, I didn't write Galatians 6 verse 10. I didn't write Ephesians 4 verse 27. I didn't write Matthew 7. It was inspired by God. God spoke and moved upon people, individuals who wrote as thus saith the Lord. So when we read the word of God, this is not man's words. It's God's word. And it's alive still for every one of us today. So when I have the opportunity to judge, When I have the opportunity to retaliate for the judgment that's been put upon me, God's word says, here's what you need to do with that opportunity. Do good unto all people. In your life, are you quick to condemn? Are you quick to jump to conclusions? When we see people, do we judge them by just what we see? What about the rest of the story? What about the rest of the story? It's easy today to judge someone who's coming in and maybe not as clean as you think they should be. It's easy to judge them and saying, how dare they come to church like that? It's easy to judge people in so many different ways just by what we see. There's a saying out there that first impressions count. 
I'm going to tell you this, first impressions are very rarely right. All of them are not. The first impression you get is because someone's doing as good as they can considering the circumstances that they're in. There's always someone behind the mask. There's always someone that's hiding behind that hurt and hiding behind that pain. I heard a saying, and I can't really remember how it goes, so this is how it goes now. But someone said this, If you knew where your enemy cried, they would become one of your best friends. If you knew the place where your enemy cried, they would become one of your best friends. Think about that. They're the enemies because they're this and that. But you know what? Everyone's got hurts. And what happens if we meet them at that hurt, all of a sudden that person's a different person and they're probably becoming a friend of ours. But yet when we pass judgment, when we retaliate, there's always someone behind the mask. And wrongful judgment will never give people a chance. I've been told by people, you're too gracious. Listen, I'd much rather err on the side of grace. Have I been hurt by that? Yes, I have. Have I had people take advantage of me? Yes, I have. But I'd much rather err on the side of grace than not even give people an opportunity because if someone hadn't have given me an opportunity. What about if God were to judge every one of us today? One day he will. But what if God were to judge us here, right now, in the same way that we have judged others? I wonder where you would be today. I wonder how you would do today if God judged you how you judge others. I'm going to tell you, I'll be the first one to throw my hands in the air today and say thank God for his patience and for his forgiveness. I need it. Thank God for his patience and forgiveness. Listen to this. God has withheld so much stuff that we deserve, yet granted us so much stuff that we don't deserve. Here's the saying now, Tammy. Sorry, I threw you earlier. Look at this saying. Instead of complaining about what you have, be thankful you haven't got what you deserve. That's some good stuff right there. I I just think you need to read that with me. Come on, read that with me. Are you ready? Instead of complaining about what you have, be thankful you haven't got what you deserve. Someone say with me today, grace. And we're not about to eat. Some of you didn't get that. Come on, say with me, grace. Come on, say it like you mean it today, grace. Come on, I'm thankful for the grace of God today. I'm thankful for the mercy of God today. I'm thankful for the unmerited favor. I'm thankful for those things that I don't deserve because I don't deserve his grace. I don't deserve his love. I don't deserve his forgiveness, but yet he loves me. He forgives me. Look what it says in Luke 12, verse 48. In the middle of that passage, it says, For everyone to whom much is given... From him or her, much will be required. What are you trying to say, Pastor P? Every one of us in here have been forgiven more than we could ever repay. 
Every one of us have been given so much more than we could ever deserve. And then God says, if that's you, then you need to also give to other people. Come on, you can't take it all and you can never give. You can't expect everyone to treat you right if you're not treating other people right. Come on right now. Help me in the house today. How hard would it be to have more grace and mercy towards other people? How hard would it be to stop before you pass judgment, sit down with someone and say, could you tell me the rest of the story? Could you just help me here because I'm struggling and I'm not seeing something. Am I missing something? Watch as people begin to pour their heart out. Watch as there's a hurt, there's a wound that you can be able to heal as you can turn them on to God. But if we judge them, if we condemn them, guess what? We're turning them away from the very source and the only source that can help them and set them free. Without Christ, there's no hope. Know the rest of the story. This is something I try to live by too. I try not to pass judgment on someone until I've corrected them. It's a good law to live by. Because they maybe don't know. They maybe don't know. I think they should know, but maybe they don't know. So if I correct that, what happens? Then I watch. Come on, I'm not passing judgment until I've corrected them. Then, if they're still doing wrong, then... It's a different story. Point number three, are you ready? Take a look in the mirror. Take a look in the mirror. How's things with you? No, really, how are things with you? We've been in here today, we've lifted our hands, we've praised God. Some even gave in the offering. Some have done all the things that we should do. But how are things really with you? Verse 3 and 4 says, And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye? But you do not consider the beam, the plank in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, Let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, there is a plank in your own eye. Look what it says in James 1, verse 23 and 24. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself and he goes away immediately forgetting what kind of man he was. Every one of us in here has been saved from so much. But we must never forget that place of salvation. We should never forget the fact that what God changed us from and make ourselves feel that we're greater and bigger and better than other people. Because James says we're like a man who looks and walks away and doesn't live according to what he sees. Come on, that's a hypocrite. That's a hypocrite. And the church today is full of such people. Before we jump to help others rid their lives of their faults, their character defects, their errors, perhaps we need to start by looking in the mirror. Perhaps we need to start with our own lives. Listen to this. Never excuse in yourself what you accuse in others. Man, we're giving you some stuff today. 
Come on, you're getting some stuff today. You're going to leave here. You're not even going to need lunch. You're going to be so full. Never excuse in yourself what you accuse in others. Why? Because we just read it. Remember, the same measure. Come on, say that with me. Same measure. Come on, say it like you mean it today. Same measure. Your life will be weighed with the same measure on the same scale. How can someone who cannot see themselves clearly be the corrector of another? How can people who are blinded by their own issues, how can they really, how crazy is it for them to think that they can cast the first stone? Remember what Jesus said. Remember what Jesus said to those who were accusing the lady that was caught in the act of adultery. I think it's very interesting that in order for adultery to have happened, there must have been two people involved. Do I hear an amen? All of a sudden, there's just one in front of them. Where was the man who was responsible for that too? It was probably one of them. Come on, don't shoot me down today. That they were accusing a lady wrongfully and Jesus just bends down and writes in the sand. No one knows what he was writing in the sand, but maybe he wrote in the sand, who was that you were with last night? But Jesus writes down, almost ignoring them. As he says these words, he who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. And he went back and wrote in the ground. Jesus comes up and he says powerful words to this lady. He said, woman, where are your accusers? And she says, sir, there are none save you. Meaning there are none left, only you. We're quick, aren't we, to throw the stones. In fact, we've become masters of stone throwing. We've got degrees in stone throwing. We've got masters in the fact of identifying the sin in everyone else's life, but not realizing that it's our first responsibility to make sure our lives are where they need to be. Let's be honest, there are faults in other people. Hey, there's many faults in other people. But do we see those faults in them? Or perhaps do we see us and our faults in them? Is it the fact that they have faults? Or is it because of the fact that we are relating to their faults? Because we carry The same ones. It's amazing. I'll be 40 in August, but I've seen quite a few things when it comes to church life. My parents have been ministers. I was brought up in church all my life. I've seen a lot of people who point the finger in accusation. And I'm telling you right now, eight times out of ten, the people who are pointing the finger in accusation are doing worse than what they're accusing that person of doing. And I'm even going to be more specific. The sin that they're condemning someone else for is the sin that is destroying their life. So what do they do? They pass the blame. 
they try to justify what they're doing by making the spectacle of someone else accusing someone else. But listen to me, it never solves the problem. It just justifies it. It just passes it off. So never am I dealing with the issue that one day I'm going to have to stand before God and give an account for, but yet I'm identifying it and exposing it in everyone else. The Bible says, hey, listen, you better remember this. You who live in darkness... One day, those things and deeds that are done in darkness, God says they're going to be brought to great light. I wonder how we would feel today if our lives were played on the big screen. And I'm just talking about this week. How we would feel. But yet we judge others without the rest of the story. It has to begin with us. Here's something to consider. When we judge others, as I said, we're probably guilty to falling victim to the same thing. Let me say that one more time. When we judge others, we're probably guilty of at one time in our lives falling victim to the same things. But something happened to us as a result of God's forgiveness. An understanding came, a grace, a love came. So therefore, you and I have the opportunity to help other people because God helped us. But yet we point the finger and we condemn. You may be saying here today, Pastor Philip, I don't know what you're talking about. I've never done that and I would never do that. I'm going to tell you all today, we are all capable of doing the same thing. How do you know that? Can I tell you God's word? It's not on the screen. But Corinthians, is it 2 Corinthians 10, 13? It says, no temptation has overtaken you. Such is common to man. That means that we all face the same struggles and the hardships. We all have the same opportunities to sin and to fail and to mess up. Listen to what Galatians 6 verse 1 says from the New Living Translation. It says, dear brothers and sisters... If another Christian is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Here's what I get from that. And I believe this is what God wants us to get. There's people out there who are messing up. But they need someone who knows what it is to live forgiven and to be a light in darkness that says, first, I'm going to deal with my life. But as a result of my life being where it needs to be, let me help you get back on track. Because if I don't do that, if I don't get it right with me and I don't help someone get back on track, the Bible says there's a snare, there's a trap that's waiting for me then I too can fall victim to that thing. Don't ever say, I'll never do that. Come on, don't ever point the finger and say, I would never do that. Because if circumstances and situations were different in your life, you would probably be in exactly the same place as that person. Come on, say, thank God for grace. Thank God for grace. God said that. Remember David, and I've got to hurry today. Say, hurry, pastor. David one day was in the wrong place. It's a whole message there. When the kings were off to battle, he was at home. He should have been with his troops. He shouldn't have been there. A lot could be said for us being in the wrong place at the right time as far as Satan is concerned. 
But David's on the roof of his palace. He looks down and he sees a lady bathing. Bath, bathing Bathsheba, he calls her. She would have had a shower. She would have probably been called showering Sheba, but she was bathing Sheba or Bathsheba. Okay? If they had jacuzzi, it would be jacuzzi Sheba. Okay, so he sees Bathsheba and he turns to the people around him and he says these words, who is that woman? Now she is known because someone says, oh, that is Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah. But David doesn't care. He says, bring her to me. Her husband's off fighting and he brings the wife in. The Bible says he lay with her. She became pregnant. He put her back to her house, but now he's got a problem. Long story short... Uriah is an honorable man. And he comes back from battle instructed by David. And David says, go and be with your wife tonight. And he would not go. He says, while my men and my troops are on the battlefield, I will not lay with my wife. David tries to cohort the situation and tries to manipulate the situation. But still this man is righteous. David finally has to have him killed to cover up the mess. To cover up the mess. It's amazing that David appears to be the hero. He's coming in. This man, she's lost her husband. David's the hero. He comes in and he marries her and he takes her. Wow, what a beautiful story. How incredible you are, David. But look what the prophet says to him. 2 Samuel 12, verse 1 through 7. Then the Lord sent Nathan, the prophet, to David. And he came to him and he said to him, There were two men in one city, one rich and one pure. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except this one little ewe which he had brought and nourished. And it grew up together with him and with his children. It ate of his own food and drank from his own cup and it lay in his bosom and it was like a daughter to him. And a traveller came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock but one from his, oh, and one from his own herd to prepare for the one who was wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. So David's anger was greatly aroused against that man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this thing shall surely die. And he shall restore fourfold for the lamb because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, Take a look in the mirror, son. David is told four three-letter words that would change his life. The prophet looks him square in the eyes and says, You are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel. And it goes on that God says, I anointed you. And I did all these things for you, but yet you would take something that is not yours. It's amazing, isn't it? The rest of the story. Come on, are you ready to pounce on someone? Are you ready to label someone? Are you able to judge someone? Perhaps we need to hit the pause and ask yourself first, am I that man? Am I that person? And you know what we then need to do for those people? We need to pray. Pray isn't calling everyone and say, would you pray with me? Because I think this person's doing this, that and the other. That's gossip. Prayer is just you and God. You can handle it with God alone. Begin to pray. David was quick to judge, wasn't he? But the finger was pointing straight back at him. We need to take a look in the mirror today. Quit allowing someone else's downfalls to make you look better. 
And last but not least, you've got to first remove your plank. No one else's but yours. Because when you remove the plank, it's then and only then that you can be in a position to see and remove the plank from others' eyes. Look what it says in verse 5, hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye. And then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Let me just show you something real quick and we're going to end today. If I've got a plank in my eye. I was going to hold up a four by four, but I didn't want to show some of the other guys up in here. If I've got a plank in someone's eye and I suddenly notice that Sam, oh, look at Sam, he's done something wrong. I'm going to pass judgment on him. How can I remove a speck in Sam's eye? Well, I've got a plank in my own eye. How can I help Sam while my life is wrong? The only way I can remove the speck from Sam's eye is to first get the pank out of my eye. So I can go up close and I can minister to him. I wish I had more time today, but can I tell you something today? When we allow God to take the plank out of our eye, it's like God is doing spiritual surgery. And you know what happens as a result of that spiritual surgery? There is a new discernment. There is a new compassion. There is a new love that we have for other people. Why? Because God has forgiven us. We remember what he took from us. We remember what we were guilty of. But yet we're trying to fix everyone else and we can't even get close. And the only thing that we can do is cause more damage. Because I'm going to take his eye out if I'm trying to help him. And not only am I going to take his eye out, I'm going to probably take four or five people's eye out trying to help just him. There's a spiritual surgery that needs to be done in every one of us. I believe that there should be a new compassion in every one of our lives that we realize, God, first take the plank out of my eye. And when he takes that out, there's a new compassion that we have for other people. Because sometimes the speck that we see in other people's eye is the reflection of the plank that's in our eye. And a lot of the times what we see in other people, is it really something wrong or is it something we just see in them? I need God to give us spiritual discernment. Because if we don't take the plank first out of our eye, we can never be the doctor. We can only be the enemy. God called every one of us to be the doctor, to help people around. You see, when it's real within us, We're going to be real with other people. So I wonder today, what's the rest of the story? It's time to stop condemning. It's time to start passing judgment. It's time to start gathering all the information that we need. Taking the time that instead of judging, we can start helping to correct. And we can start help to helping them. I wonder how many people are today in this church should be in here today. But we took their eye out because there was a plank already in ours. Here's the message today. Watch how you judge. You judge other people as you want to be judged. Number three, take a look in the mirror. 
And number four, first remove the plaque from your eye. That today, as Paul Harvey says, is the rest of the story. Would you stand to your feet with me today? We would like to thank you for listening to this message today. We pray that your life has been challenged by what you've heard, but we also know it will be changed as you put God's word into effect. At Heart Seas Family Life Church, our doors are always open to help. If you need any more information or just a friend to listen, we are here. Call us at 225-274-1607 or email us at pastorp at hflc.us. Remember, put God first in your life and everything you do will prosper. We look forward to seeing you soon. God bless. Master.